Greetings, podcast enthusiasts near and far. I'm Paulette Gloria Harwood, and I'm your host of Thriving in Chaos. As podcasts are the trendy things to do these days, I thank you for sharing the love by tuning in. I'm thrilled you're listening to the sparkling examples of excellence in womanhood I find and curate. I believe these inspiring, wise, powerful, trailblazing souls light the way for us as we each learn to gracefully navigate our journeys. As a certified divorce coach, I have been witness to confusion, sadness, change, and growth. I have learned that all we really need is to share our knowledge, support, and love to guide our sisters to all the possibilities in life. I am dedicated to helping clients leave behind the turmoil, confusion, and chaos of divorce while adding value to their best life with tips, tools, and personal experience. If you are so inspired, please subscribe to my podcast and share with others you think who may benefit. And now, let's thrive in chaos. Good morning. Welcome to Thriving in Chaos, the podcast number two. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning, Paulette. We are we are definitely thriving in the freezing cold weather here in Boston. <laughs> good good to uh, reconnect for our second gathering. Couldn't be more excited. Sorry about the weather. I know you are sorry. I think we need to start recording live from Belize. That's going to be on my bucket list. How is the weather there? Uh, you probably shouldn't ask. I know. I think it's, I, it's like 74, a little cloudy, a little overcast, a little breezy. I can always tell that the winds are coming from the north because it's low tide. So when the winds come from the south, it's high tide. And when the winds come from the north, it's low tide. That's strange, like situate, what is the tidal difference? Like three feet, like maybe more? Here it's only yeah. like six, seven inches. Yeah, I think it's a couple feet. Yeah, um, it's I, like nothing here. I was it. joking with somebody over the weekend about you because <laughs> I think I was screenshotting you the, the it's a little bit unusually cold. Um, I think yesterday was a high of around seven degrees. Um, and you had uh, texted back that the locals had jackets on because it had dropped to 68. Um, so you weren't getting a lot of sympathy from, from all of us <laughs> over here. But it does, you know, and then, of course, we, we have to laugh because it is New England and it is the middle of January. And this is appropriate weather. It's normal. <laughs> yeah. We, we just, uh, you know, kick and scream. Um every time we we get it and of course i'm sure you and steve had the game on the game on sunday i know guys we did watching we did and we uh cannot watch the game live at our house uh because it's not a broadcast to belize you have to uh 
up to have some sort of fancy satellite. So there's a great little airport terminal right up the street at Maya Air with a beautiful second floor um, handcrafted Belizean Santa Maria bar with this big screen TV. And we walk in and uh, the bartender's name is Alfonso and Linda, who's from Brooklyn, New York, and has this great little bagel like cafe there. And we walk in and we're the only people in it. And we sit down at the bar and there's this one particular guy was on this side and he's drinking a Belican and he's watching the LA game. Um, was it New Orleans? And he's really, really into the game, you know? And uh, we're like, gosh, this guy must be from LA. And he's like, you know, really like, and I said, so are you from LA? He's like, no, I'm from Boston. Oh, that's hysterical. <laughs> I know. Of course, so, of course. The other of course. Pa- pa- there's Patriots fans in every corner of the world. I'm finding. Exactly. Yeah, it's so that's, true. In fact, funny. there's another little sports bar called Sidelines, and they're, all the locals go there, and they all wear their Patriot shirts. There is really a tremendous Patriot um, fan base here. It's quite interesting. And there's another little bar called the Palapa, and I would say all the bartenders are Patriots fans. So everywhere we go, but the haters there's haters. And that's another reason I don't typically talk about the weather because I can always tell when people unfriend me on Facebook or unfollow me on Instagram, it's because I post something about the weather and they just basically give me the middle finger and unfriend me. And that's okay. Like let haters be haters. We're kind of used to it with Patriots fans. So whether it be the weather (laughs) or it be the Patriots or the Red Sox, I wore my Red Sox uh, shirt to the, um, to watch the game too, which was rather funny. So I get it. You know, um, I don't talk about it a lot. It's one of the reasons we moved. And so that's it. So you're slugging the honey, you're flying the Chardonnay, your pothole in the street, you're stumping the trail or your headache wine. <laughs> those are the little, um, I love it. I know those are the titles that I thought would be most appropriate when we start each week. We're going to start with our our roadblock, like what is it that's right. getting holding us down this week? So, for you, it might be the weather. You know, um, I, I just, I, it is what it is. I mean, there's nothing we can really do about it. I think everyone that lives in cold weather, we kind of crave the warmth. But something that you and I talk about a lot is being present, being grateful. So I try to find beauty in the cool, crisp air and. You know, I think it makes the, the nice weather that much more special. So try not to get too too caught up on it. But I had a couple people reach out, um, you know, really interested after what we'd spoke about in the first podcast was just the thriving in, the, in, in chaos. Paulette, we talked a lot about really how chaotic our lives are. And we really don't we can't really opt out of the chaos I mean the chaos is is with us um but how do we survive and um be in it without letting us bring it down and I think what would be really helpful for today if you're on board with this is talking about letting go and healing um while we're in the chaos I think that might be a nice place to start and might resonate with a lot of people is I think they hear a lot about, well, you've got to let go. You've got to let go. You've got to heal. How do you do that? You know, I think that might be helpful for you and I to kind of maybe start there with 
how do we let go and heal? Exactly. You know, my, my fly in the Chardonnay this week has been my book. The patience that it takes to put together a book is something I've never experienced before. Well, close. It's such a long process and you have to really allow it to unfold and you have to find the best editors. You have to find the best formatters. You have to find the best illustrators. You have to find the best launch team and publishing team. And I am an impatient woman and I like everything done well and quick and efficiently. So it's exactly what we're talking about and just letting go and allowing the process to unfold. And there's this negative connotation when people say, let go, just let go. Can't you just let go? And surrender kind of has that connotation. I, I, I agree. I agree. And I think you've done a great job um, with the book because to be honest, you're always positive about it. You don't really ever complain. And it is, <laughs> you don't. I mean, it, you know, you're, it's almost like anyone that's part of your tribe and your team with this book. It's all like, we're all kind of moving forward with you. You haven't really let it, you haven't veered off your path with it. It's really, it's been a, it's accentuating you and all the good things that you want to do in your life as far in not ticking away. And I think that's a great, a great example you're setting on. You can take on this crazy project, which you might have no idea how it's going to unfold and still not lose yourself to the chaos because talking mm-hmm. about chaos, writing a book um, about your life. Um, yeah. That could be a little chaotic and you've done a great job managing it and making it look easy. I know that it's not easy, Mm, but you're making it look easy. I went to a conference back in 2002 with a Bostonian. Her name is Cheryl Richardson. She lives up in Newburyport. She's written oodles of books. She's a big Hay House goddess. And she has these adorable little cards. And I forget what she's named them, but um, I think they're called grace cards. But I happened to pick one right when I started writing the book and it was release. When we release our attachment to the outcome, we allow the power of grace to work its magic. And that's exactly the lesson I've had to learn about letting go is really releasing our attachment to the outcome, kind of just letting the process. Back to that point, Paulette, you were saying we just sort of hang on to things we don't want to let go and why and and why is that like why do we hang on to pain why do we hang on to things that don't serve our highest and best um I think it's hard to let go yeah I think it comes back to that essence of it's comfortable that's what I was gonna say that's what I was gonna say it's comfortable I had um you know, we were, t- I was talking to someone this week about people in abusive relationships and, you know, the, these conversations come up all the time um, and in all, all types of, of abuse. I'm just going to go with verbal on this one because I don't want to get into anything too heavy, but, you know, why do we stay? Why, you know, if, if someone's mistreating us, because I think in some cases it's all we know. 
we don't actually know any better. We're, we're used to it. It's, it is, it, it's that comfort, even though it's a negative, it kind of becomes who we are and in a crazy way. The negativity winds up validating us in a very dysfunctional way. So I think it becomes very difficult to see what serves our soul and what, what doesn't um, because we become so in, entranced in it. Right. Yeah. We have to really be okay with being uncomfortable. And that's a difficult thing to do. And there's also a sense of being an optimist where I can fix it. It'll get better. I can make the person change or I can change or we can change together or I want it to be better. So therefore it will be better. Waving that magical wand. Sometimes it doesn't, doesn't work. And you and I have talked in great depth offline, particularly if it's in a situation where it is a marriage, um, about sort of the belief systems that are installed in us, um, societal belief systems, my favorite, my favorite word, um, that, you know, you have to stay, right? I mean, you're married, you, that's it. Um, divorce is a no, no, suck it up. Um, you know, you're not really deserving of, of happiness and a full life. You're married and, you have to stick it out. And I think a lot of us of a certain generation were taught that. And we sort of, we sort of bought into it. You know, we, we bought into that. Yeah. We're, we're in, we're in this for life and whatever behavior comes up, we just have to deal with it. Um, and that's, it's really hard to let go of that concept of letting go and it might be letting go of, of, of a marriage or a toxic relationship to allow us to fully thrive and be who we need to be very hard though, to let go. And you and I know that firsthand. I also think it's work situations. It doesn't always just have to be a marriage. It can be a work situation and even where you are, you know, I was living in Boston, freezing, in a job that was not fulfilling, in a marriage that felt like it didn't fit. Nothing in my life felt comfortable. So I was learning to be uncomfortable and I was an eternal optimist. I looked forward to summer. I loved mentoring young women. And not everything in all of our marriages are bad. We can always find a little glimmer of hope, but we stay busy we just constantly stay busy to avoid the discomfort until we take the bull by the horns. And I know we spoke about that last time, about our constant need to stay busy just to do something. B, B, B is not what we want. It's do, do, do. You know, this sense of connection to something and really a false sense of connection, particularly to the self, to others, and to our community. I think you and I also have touched upon too with this sort of staying busy thing. It seems like a lot of relationships, whether it be friendships or romantic relationship, work, work relationships, because we're always in this state of busyness, this state of chaos, it doesn't enable us to fully get to know someone because there's no time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just spoke to someone the other day. She's 
she's divorced. She's been dating someone for a year and they wound up finally having an opportunity to spend a couple days together. They have children and, and, and um, jobs and all that. And really anticipating sort of this wonderful weekend. Um, it was an eye opener for her because in the year they'd been together, they really never had any time, quality time um, to get to know her, to, to get to know each other. And it was a positive because there was downtime and um, not a lot of chaos and a lot of not a lot of noise. And they were able to read and sleep in and go for walks and talk about, you know, some spiritual and high level things that they don't get a chance to. It was actually a wonderful bonding experience, but it was an eye open her for her because after a year she realized, my God, like this could have gone either way. I, we, we really didn't know each other in the way that I thought we did. Um, and I just think that's a really important point, even with, you know, friendships and, work and these type of relationships how do we get to know someone amongst the chaos yeah you know busy is just another word for avoidance and not allowing situations to unfold slowly and naturally and dare i say organically slowing down and simplification is key Exactly. Finding ease and finding what's really essential. You know, I find it fascinating. Maybe the last 10 to 15 years, there's slowly become this popularity of minimalism, tidying up. I mean, look at Josh Becker and Joshua Field Mil- Joshua Fields Milburn and what's his partners, Ryan McAdemus and even Marie Kondo's book, like which I've read both of them, The Art of Tidying Up. And I think it's... Um, I forget what the second one is called. Um, you know, it, we all get this vision that we're going to live in a cottage with a bed and one pair of shoes and, and just keep stripping away to the, to the fact that there's, there's nothing there. This whole kind of, but <laughs> it, it's not, it's not really how it works. I right. mean, you know, you can clean your closet and you can throw away your papers and, uh, dump your clothes off at goodwill and uh, still be busy. You know, it's a matter of, you just mentioned this, you know, situation where they, you said, you know, it could have gone either way. It, it could have gone either way. Down. And yeah. I think to your point, Paula, you know, sometimes people hear the word minimalism and they're thinking, okay, I have to sell everything. You know, I can't in- enjoy life anymore. I have to, move to the woods in a cabin and, and, and that, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's, that's obviously an extreme, an extreme example, but to me, making things minimal is weeding out the things in my life that cause me the most stress um, and shift my energy from one that's balanced to one that's chaotic. So right. say it's a person, we all have that friend. Every time we get an email or a phone call, you can feel the tension in your shoulders. Um, And I'm not saying that we throw people away. What I am saying is maybe we put some distance or we put some boundaries because sometimes friendships are hard and we want to be there for people. But 
by by a minimalistic approach, we're sort of minimizing the amount of negativity or stressful energy we allow in on a daily basis because that's going to keep us balanced. We have mm-hmm. to be the keeper of our own person. No one's going to do that for us. No and Elizabeth, don't do you think that it comes down to your core values of what's really important to you and what adds value and and contribution, you know, is really key here. It's like, so like, what was the particular moment for you that woke you up, that made you stop and get quiet and learn to cut a little bit aside and and really get to that point where you could quiet? Did you have a particular moment? I, you know, it's funny, Paulette, I did. And I don't talk about it a lot and I, I I hate to even bring up, you know, the whole divorce thing, but it was about a year after my divorce. I had sort of walked around with my head hanging low, feeling, feeling sorry for myself, thinking that all the women that I used to be friends with hated me. And, you know, I was just kind of this poor, pathetic person. I, I really felt that way. And that wasn't who I was. I was just sort of like letting all of this sort of stuff seep into me. And I literally remember walking out of the gym. I think I was, I was teaching a lot of classes back then. I think I taught a Pilates class and I was coming out and I looked up at the sky and it, it just, it's like something just said, you need to wake up. And it, I just chose to wake up in that moment. And I realized, my God, Life is amazing. I have a chance to start over and do things the way I want. And I, I became grateful. I, I, I do feel there was some type of divine intervention. And I just shifted my focus. And instead of focusing on, you know, the lack of everything in my life, I had, you know, what I was lacking, the lack of a husband, the lack of resources, the lack of this and that and the other thing. I decided to focus on all the good and positive, and that really made me look at everything differently, um, including the you know the people in my life. And I'll be honest, a lot of people in my life um, are no longer in my life mm-hmm. because I had to sort of do that weeding out process. Um, what does each person bring to our life? Do they raise us up? Do they make us feel better about ourselves? How do we feel when we leave them? Do we feel inspired and loved Um, or do they drain us? Do they make us feel bad about ourselves? Do they project their own fears and inadequacies onto us? You know, and and where, where does, where do we lay in that? And I I did, I did a lot of cleaning house, so to speak, um, in that moment, four or five years ago now. Mm. How about yourself? Oof, well, Did you have that, that moment? Yeah. No, well, they were pretty much two. Going back to 2002, I wasn't feeling well. I hadn't been feeling well for hmm, probably about two years. I was incredibly busy teaching somewhere between 20 and 30 performing arts dance classes. Everything from ballet to tap to jazz to choreography and traveling a lot and I didn't feel well at all I went to get a checkup and the doctor said you have a hernia first of all I didn't even know what the hell a hernia was 
so I mean forgive my ignorance but like I didn't know anyone who'd ever had one so I was like what does that mean he's like well you have a hole in the wall of your abdominals and your intestines are popping out of your belly button and I'd always said like oh I just thought I had an Audi he goes yeah Audis aren't really normal and I went oh interesting so where I found myself um on the surgical table having umbilical hernia surgery ironic right like wow cutting the cord right the the irony the visual of an umbilical hernia so I got a brand new belly button I now have an innie and I joked with the surgeon and I said you know could you like pierce it and like a little diamond in there while you're at it yeah yeah of course and I woke up and I was pissed that he didn't actually do it because you know this is back in 2002 where belly button rings were like the thing to have even though I was like I don't know 37 and I know so I that was it I sat on the couch for six weeks crying and it gave me the courage to quit my job so that was in uh, August and September and in October on Columbus Day I quit and between 2002 and 2005 I was incredibly depressed I had a very difficult time taking care of myself and my kids. I I got through it. I wasn't suicidal, but I felt really, I went through anxiety in 2002 and it shifted into uh, 2005 hardcore depression. And the reason that started was a very intense case of tinnitus or tinnitus. Uh, You say tinnitus, I say tinnitus. I've had, I've gone to every expert Kevin Hogan, I went to Mass Eye and Ear. They put me in little soundproof booths with the earphones and figured out, did I have hearing loss? Was it Meniere's disease? Was it vertigo? What the hell was it? And it really was just an intense case of sitting and listening. And the ringing in my ears forced me to sit and listen to my soul. And I got so sad, I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't take care of myself. I could just take care of the kids. They were like seven, nine, and 11, and it was tough. You know, I had gone from this like full-time career woman to this full-time stay-at-home mom, and my viewpoint of of eliminating my work that was suffocating me and controlling me, I had completely disconnected from myself and my soul, and my emotions were manufactured and controlled. I felt like I had to be on stage because I was a performer, a dancer, a teacher. And the doctors put me on amitriptyline and clonopin and Flomax and muscle relaxants. And I was literally a walking pharmaceutical experiment. Yeah, that was my moment. That was my divine storm. And I've been drug-free for four years now and really found the right balance. Very limited, limited use of alcohol. And, you know, the chronic disease and chronic pain and tension that I see most of my clients living under with work and marriage and relationship issues, everybody has their storm. Right. Right. That was it. Did you find, though, Paula, once, because I found this, once we can get that clarity and quiet our head so many things fell into place for you. And again, that's just the chaos that's in all of our heads. Um, silencing the brain 
which isn't easy because as human beings, our brains are very noisy and they're wired receptors. They're sensitive. It's kind of where we get all of our human emotions from. Um, I've found that when I can silence them, and it's hard some days because the noise is very loud, but by working on silencing them, it's able to I'm able to make better decisions and stay focused in, in learning to silence them. And it, it's, it's learned behavior. It's not something that we're sort of innately born with. We have to teach ourselves how to be quiet, to your point, to be quiet so we can hear. Mm. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people that know me know that Rod Stryker is one of my mentors and teachers. And one of the most liberating things that he's taught me is that I am not my mind. I am that which experiences my mind thinking. And the mind is always active. It never stops, even when we're dreaming. I mean, sleeping, it's called dreaming, right? Right, right. Yeah, mind the little slip there, but, and I know 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 what you're saying. I know. Prioritize and ask myself some questions, you know, like, what do I want to accomplish? And what is really a priority? And I just broke it down into three sections. I call it dump and dwindle or purge and prune or whatever you have to do. Like, you know, like emotionally vomit and then let it go. You've got yourself, you've got your relationships and you've got your work or your business. And you've got to start losing things off the list and keep peeling away. And when you start to ask yourself those hard questions, like, what is the payoff of making this happen? What impact can I make on the world as well as my community and myself? And how well will this benefit others when you've got to get out of your self-contained little me, me, me world? Um, Yeah. And then what do I need to become or what qualities do I need to embody to be my best self? And that's where I started to get quiet. Right. You know, you and I talk so much about letting go of the past. And I had a conversation with someone recently at an event. She's talking and and she's she's divorced and and, and very bitter. and, And I assumed it was new. Um, which is natural, which is normal in the beginning. We're all a little pissed off or a lot pissed off. <laughs> and I said, how long um, has it been? And again, I'm expecting six months, a year, two years. She looks at me, um, Paula, and said, it's, it's been 15 years. Oh. And I, I just looked at this woman and I was I really almost struck down with, my God, she has been carrying the weight of that divorce in her mind, the failure for 15 years. And it is blocking her on every level. I literally wanted to just grab her and hug her and just say, let it go. It didn't work out. It's okay. Let it go. Let go of the bitterness because she hasn't been able to have a meaningful relationship. She isn't happy. Um, She's not taking care of herself physically. She is wearing the scar and the burden of that quote unquote failure that she perceives it as she's wearing it 
on her sleeve every day. And every day she shows up with that badge of pain that she carries, Paulette. And it, it, mm. it did. It broke. I mean, it did break my heart because it's defining her. This, this perceived failure in her life doesn't have to be divorce. It can be anything. This mm. was this one particular thing, but she is allowing it to define her. It is, it is literally who she's become mm-hmm. instead of moving past it, because the only way we can move forward is if we let go of the past, we have to let go. How do we let go? We don't give it energy. We don't feed it. And it's mental. A lot of it's mental. You know, when we start to go to that negative place or we start to feel bad, we mentally put it behind. Literally, I do that. I actually visualize whatever it is and I actually move it behind me. I know that sounds kind of wacky. We all have our techniques, but I do that. I'm like, okay, right behind me. Keep it behind me. Um, Because, you know, we do, we all go back to, we touch on things and touching on them is okay. Carrying them with us is very different. And that's, Absolutely. Um, that's I, mean, I just feel heavy listening to you talk about this woman and the, the blame and the shame and the scars and the burden and the stigma. It's like she's carrying a tattoo, but it's on her soul. You know? It's on her soul. And she's, I just want to, I hope I get the opportunity to work with her um, yeah. because she's such a lovely person, um, but she's never going to be free of it, you know, and 15 years is a long time to carry anything. No one deserves that. You know, no one deserves 15 years of hanging on to, to pain. I know. Yeah. I think back to who I was 15 years ago and if I was still stuck where I was in 2003 sitting on that couch after my surgery crying and feeling frozen and stuck and scared and overwhelmed in every aspect of who I was and where I was going I'm I'm not sure I'd still be here it's really why I do the work I do and I know it's why you do the work you do and that's why we're doing what we're doing and coming together and I also want to thank a lot of people that have been encouraging myself and you Elizabeth to put this together it's going to get really dynamic with experts that we're going to bring in I know right now we're just getting to know you but yeah thank you exactly love to hear your input on what you want us to call our intro, we've got Slug in the Honey, Fly in the Chardonnay, thank you, Alanis Morissette, Pothole in the Street, <laughs> welcome to Back Bay in the Boston and the Southeast Expressway, and the Stump in the Trail for those hikers, or what I like to call Headache Wine. You know that bottle of wine that you look at, and you haven't even dr- looked at you've just looked at it and you already have a headache it's like the flip-flop or the barefoot or like what's that brand of wine that instantly gets you just take a sip and immediately you're like my entire weekend is ruined so what would you like us to start with what do you want to call it um i'm I'm kind of sticking with fly in the chardonnay I like fly in the chardonnay even though yeah 
but we don't drink Chardonnay. I'm a Pinot Grigio. I'm a Pinot Grigio girl. I know, but it's maybe it's just 1996. Yeah, yeah. We'll keep it. We'll we'll keep it. And you know, I think what a little bit of feedback that I've gotten already with you and I is the one thing that we want to everyone to remember is we're not perfect. Um, we've experienced, we're, we're actually speaking from experience. We've been in the fire, we've been thrown to the fire and we've walked out of the fire and survived it and gone on to thrive in our own chaos. And if there's any way that maybe listening, spending a little time with us, we're just real women with a purpose um, we, we want other people to awake and see the possibilities of what their lives can be. And if we can just sort of shed some light on their paths, if li- listening to us chit chat and talk about some of these important topics motivates them, motivates one person, um, puts an idea in their head that maybe they can change where they didn't think they could, then I think we've done something good in the amount of time that we're here together on the podcast. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited about that and grateful for the opportunity for you and I to, to impact some people. I couldn't have said it better. Um, it has been such an honor to just to develop um, a deep abiding respect and friendship for you. And I'm deeply grateful for this opportunity to really Uh, help and shine the light for so many on the possibility of what it means to really live your best life. So less is more. Love you all. Stay tuned next week. Never too late to be the best possible version of all of ourselves, Paula. Thank you. Talk soon.